You're listening to the Big Finish Podcast, launched on the 8th of September, 2019. Some sort of gravitational anomaly. I've lost control. Highland, what the hell's happening? Paul Morrow, is that you? Commander Koenig! The pilot's out calling. I got a total computer shut down here, Paul. Something hit us. Welcome. Here's what's coming up in this podcast. We celebrate the Doctor Who icon, writer, Terence Dix. We plug, plug, plug our upcoming massively exciting release, Space 1999 Breakaway, Ooh. out on Breakaway Day, 13th of September, 2019. We go behind the scenes with two Doctor Who main range stories, Tartarus, starring Peter Davison, and Harry Houdini's War, starring Colin Baker. We give you 25% off a randomly selected Big Finish release. And we tease you with the first 15 minutes of, you guessed it, Space 1999 Breakaway. I'm Benji, he's Nick, and together we're part of the vast team of happy folks who deliver you the finest audiobooks and audio drama known to intelligent life throughout the Cosmosphere. Indeed. And I think all Doctor Who fans were very sad indeed to hear the news that Terence Dix had passed away. He was script editor of Doctor Who from 1968 to 1974, as if... You didn't know. I wrote many great scripts and probably rewrote many more, which reminds me uh, of what he said to me once. Let me tell you the story. <laughs> I mentioned it in the uh, the little article on the, the Big Finish website, but there was um, a spin-off video that you may have heard of, Benji, called... Um Mind Game Trilogy. Did you yes, ever see Mind yeah, Game? Mind I remember Game it well, yes. Okay, well, he wrote a Sontaran script for that. And I was the script editor of it. And I read the script. It was classic Terence Dix, you know. Um, but there were a couple of things I thought, oh, I, that's, that, I need to sort of change that. And I, and I spoke to Keith Barnfather. And this was really, I think, in the days before email. <gasps> and uh, Keith said, well, if you want to change it, you're going to have to phone him and talk to him. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I was thinking, oh my God, it's Terence Dix though. I mean, I've met Terence many times before um, to interview him and stuff and at conventions. Um, and so I phoned him up, quaking in my boots. And the, the conversation was weird because I was so scared. You know, when you get scared, you don't listen so of well. Of course, yeah. <laughs> you're just so kind of taking like, it in and thinking, ah. Might, you're thinking all the time, aren't you? That's what's exactly, funny. Exactly, but not about what the other person's yeah. saying. <laughs> and so I was desperately trying to tactfully say to him, I, I, I want to change your script in these ways. And what I didn't realise, he was very magnanimously, constantly saying to me, I don't mind, you can change it however you want. He was going, yes, well, yes, that's fine, Nick, you know, and all this kind of thing. And, he was, and I was thinking, oh, and I wasn't listening. And he said, yes, you could do with it what you like, he said, but you, he said, when it turns out to be brilliant and everyone says it's marvellous, you'll have to sit there grinding your teeth because you'll think, that was what I wrote, and they're all saying it's Terence Dix. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it wasn't that. I didn't rewrite that much. But yeah, so bless him. And I, and I sort of took a breath and then realised that he was just agreeing with me and, and also being lovely and magnanimous about it. And we laughed, you know. 
But Benji, um, what are your thoughts on the legacy of Terence Dix? Well, I think firstly, um, the one thing I want to say straight away is that just to see the outpouring of love for him all Uh, over social media. I've never experienced anything quite like it, actually, because there's just absolute pure love and people just saying the most lovely things. Um, I've got a lot to thank uh, Terence for because I remember um, at my school, my secondary school actually, um, we had to do these compulsory library lessons and they're exactly right. the type of thing I hate, sitting in silence in a room, yeah. uh, you know, with somebody and if and if you so much as whisper somebody says, uh, stop it Mr Clifford, stop it. Oh, <laughs> Whoever thought kids would like that. Exactly and I, and I remember, you know, I was sitting there reading their rubbish books in their library and one day when I was out, um, I came across so I saw the Target books and I thought oh yeah I saw Planet of the Daleks I thought wow. I love Planet of the Daleks I thought that's a great story I thought I'll just go and uh, get that Terence Dick's uh, book sat there and it absolutely transformed that, that lesson for me and all of a sudden right it, it went from a form of, of quite frankly torture to something that I'd look quite forward to I'd think great I can wow. sit down and just enjoy a little bit of Planet of the Daleks now and it was like the equivalent <laughs> to me because the way it's the way it's been written it is, it's so well written and it's it's like it's like um, watching something, but with loads of added scenes and features and extra bits. Yeah. Added. So for me, it really felt like between like I don't know, science and maths, two pretty loathsome things with themselves. That it was like this great chance to go and just have a bit of Doctor Who. And so I'll never, I'll never forget, and I'll always be grateful for the fact that he actually made something pretty bland into something absolutely fantastic. Oh, brilliant. I've heard so many stories sort of along those lines about people saying, and some of the emails we've had in, you know, people talking about it's the books that have really made such an impression on people. I know people who, I think Rob Shearman um, got into Doctor Who by reading Terence's books. You know, he hadn't seen the series or had seen one episode or something. Well, well, one day we'll ask Rob about it. I mean, Rob wrote a brilliant thing that's in the news statement or Mm. the news statesman all about uh, Terence Dix and his feelings about it. He also did a big, big old long tweet about it in several parts. It was fascinating reading, really moving, lovely, actually. Really inspiring. But, but really Rob, inspiring. you know, when he was 14, he said he had such a bad stammer and he interviewed Terence and Terence was completely patient with him. And, you know, amazing. But again, um, it goes down to that same thing of what everybody has really been saying is that Terence Dix was a truly lovely man. And it yes. comes across as well when you see him interviewed and, and you know, whether you're watching a, an old convention video or a, or a behind-the-scenes feature on a DVD, he just comes across as a lovely person. Yes, and uh, I think he was just tried to be as scrupulously honest as he could, but he was very realistic about people and their, their attitudes. And so you know, he, were, he was often quite firm in his polite disagreement if you said something that he didn't <laughs> think was right. And I loved the fact that... Uh, um, as he got older, he became a little bit more blunt and grumpy. <laughs> In certain circumstances, would absolutely tell the unvarnished truth. <laughs> and people would kind of go, oh, and, but no one could really disagree with him. I won't elaborate on any of that. Uh, anyway, of course, some years ago, we worked with Terence when he adapted his first Doctor Who stage play for us, Seven Keys to Doomsday. And so here he is chatting about that as part of a making-of feature uh, from that release. I'm Terence Dix, the writer of Seven Keys to Doomsday. 
I mean, my first experience of it, of course, was, you know, when I was faced with the project, you see, which I found, uh, you know, somewhat daunting. You know, the people at Big Finish said, oh, it's perfectly straightforward. We just want the play, you know, um, take take you a few days, you know, that. <laughs> but, you know, as I said, it had been daunting all those years ago, writing for the stage, you see, and no close-ups, no cuts, and you're very dependent on spectacle, you know, on moments when the Daleks appear, when you see the computer, when you see the uh, the Grandmaster, and finally when the Doomsday Machine is wheeled on, you know, which was a, a cracking moment in the play, you know, this enormous Hammond organ thing uh, wheels on, you see, and um, you can't do it. And you, if you can't see anything, you know. So um, I found it quite, um, quite tricky technically to convert. You know that there, um, you know, there is a lot of spectacle in this, and to convert things which have been designed to be seen, you know, like a a fight with monsters or something, um, was quite tricky. You know, and there is great danger of um, falling into the old cliches of "Look out, he's got a gun." Or I've got a gun here and I'm not a, and I'm pointing at you and I'm not afraid to use it, you know. And you have to work work quite hard to uh, avoid that, so that a a it sounds like reasonably natural dialogue that people might say under the circumstances, um, but also conveys clearly to the listener, which is kind of all you've got, what is going on in this um, unseen bit of action. Terence Dix is a is a legendary Doctor Who figure, and um, it's, strangely enough, I feel I feel almost like I've got I've got nothing to say to Terence because I've I've interviewed him so many times. I just sort of say hi. And that's that's enough. You know, we did have a little chat earlier actually, but yeah, it's brilliant that he wanted to come along, and he's been very patiently sitting in the control room, looking at the script. You know. Uh, checking we've got it right i suppose <laughs> i don't know and he's made he's made quite a few good uh, little suggestions when we found moments where perhaps that it's not quite working for audio as as well as we might hope and he's just suggested a few lines and things there and then which i know john the director is very grateful for so it's really lovely to have him here he's just um you know very affable and, and good company and has it been nice being reunited with terence sticks today Oh, yes, it was very funny. Here we are. And we looked at each other and we thought, good Lord. Well, never thought we'd sort of bump into each other 34 years later. He, uh, he of course, was the original... Uh, well, he wrote the thing. And uh, he was also... He wrote most of the television um, Doctor Who's at the roundabout that time that I, uh, that we did this play. So, um, uh, yes, it's, it was great. He, he hasn't, he's got a little older, as I have, and he's got a little plumper, as I have. Um, but uh, his, uh, his wit and jolliness are just the same as it was then. I've enjoyed seeing it done very much. I mean, what it's made me realise, you know, is how much can be done simply with the voice. Simply with the voice and simply with acting, because that is really all you've got, you know. Plus, plus a few sound effects, you know, which is which is very important. And I'm sure, I mean, I haven't heard many of the sound effects yet, but I'm sure that will make a huge difference when when they're dubbed on, as it were, in the later stages. But um, you know, it, it's it does seem to stand up fairly well. I'm I'm happy to say. Isn't Trevor great? 
So he was terrific. Yes, giving the same performance. He was. He was saying to me, "He's glad. He's he's glad it's only audio, and he hasn't got to physically leap about quite so much, you know." But he's doing it very well. Bless him. Well, Nick made an appeal out on Twitter to hear your thoughts on the great man. So here are some emails that we've got together that come in on just that subject. Yes, this one is from Nick Sprague. He says, "Where to start with Terence Dix's impact?" During a time when my brother and I had only the sixth and seventh Doctor's adventures recorded onto grainy VHS and the odd official video release from the archives to keep us ticking over, Dick's novelizations filled in all the gaps, taking us on journeys to Scarrow, Peladon and the Scottish Highlands, all places equally as alien to us as at such a young age. Whether it was on the long car journey to a classic British caravan holiday park or on a stay with our grandparents, we would always pick up a few choice titles to keep us entertained. And it didn't matter if we'd already given them a whirl. They were so accessible yet so imaginative and painted such brilliant pictures in our minds we could reread them if we'd only just finished the final page. I can still remember the thrill of finding some rarer titles in a local jumble sale going for 50p gleefully pulling out our pocket money to embark on another mysterious adventure and i have no doubt that without those books and those scripts paul wouldn't have embarked on the career he chose just looking at those target covers and spines still gives me goosebumps and brings back fond fond memories nick oh thank you so much nick for writing in i think you were the first person to respond Hmm. beautiful thank you well here's one from matt turner I didn't care much for reading at all outside of the schoolroom as a little kid. Quite by accident, when I was about to turn eight years old, I spotted Doctor Who and the Day of the Daleks, one of the pinnacle book series at the local teacher's supply store. I'd been a fan for maybe two months, and I caterwauled until my mum agreed to buy (laughs) it for me. I mail-ordered the other books over time, and I located the target novelisations quickly at bookstores around. My parents and grandparents were thrilled. The books had me reading and actively learning the language and better comprehension. And possibly more importantly, they kept me occupied, quiet and out of their hair. (laughs) I began reading other books and I started writing my own stories, who based and original. Then I later got curious about stage and film and TV writing, then performing. My Doctor Who library is one of my most prized possessions, and I truly believe, if not for Terence, I wouldn't have uh, wound up a reader, a writer, an actor, or as avid a learner as I am now, at a year away from 50. Uh I'm thrilled and will always be that uh, I was able to meet him and express my gratitude, which he accepted with graciousness and humility and to be an audience for many of his wonderful stories. Mm. The man deserved slash deserves an OBE, at least for his services and devotion to millions and millions of children, generations of children, to whom he ceaselessly encouraged not only literacy, but kindness and courage. He helped shape the better parts of our culture and our humanity. In short, he was better than a hero. He was a doctor. Matt Turner there from the USA thank you so much that was a wonderful um, email in there so lovely really nicely written as well wasn't it beautifully written and uh, and so true I remember you know I I I had quite a bit of trouble reading when I was a kid 
I got sort of um, I was quite good at it and then so they put me in charge of helping a less able student to read when I was about six seven and I got totally left behind it was a strange girl I must have mentioned this before who kept sort of it was she was very aware for her age she was sort of promising that we would make pornographic movies when we grew up <laughs> Well, that's nice that of her. Really wow. And she constantly did this thing where she pretended to poke her eye out, which sent me squealing underneath the table. So I spent a lot of the time when reading was meant to be going on, dealing with this strange girl. I wonder what ever happened to her. Anyway, so when I got back into the mainstream, I was behind. And I remember at one point uh, I was nine months behind in my reading age. And my mother said to me, you've got to do something about that. I was 27 at the time. No, I'm joking. Um, and uh, <laughs> I was like nine or ten at the time. And I have to say that books became a, a, a sort of fearful thing. All those words was my brother. Uh, he he was he would regularly just read a book in a day. I remember once I brought bought a planet beneath the planet of the apes, and he and before I'd got to it, he said, "Yeah, it's not bad." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, I've read it, I went, but I only bought it this morning, and it's lunchtime." And yeah, I know, I read it. <laughs> oh, how can read? Yeah, anyway. And then my first book that I read in a day was Day of the Daleks. Well, that's very that's very you, isn't it? Very telling. Yeah, very. It's a telling. great book, actually. It's much better than the TV episodes. Well, the thing is about those books that I particularly loved as well is that um, they're incredibly detailed. They're not incredibly long. You know, they're not huge like you know those massive like uh, you know the Harry Potter books that just get bigger and bigger. But somewhat, they felt just as detailed and and mm. uh, long I don't know it's a strange one isn't it but yeah absolutely superb work really yes I think some Doctor Who fans of my generation Benji went through a stage of getting a little bit snobby about Terence oh really yeah we did because he was he had a, a, a populist touch but there was m so much more to him than that his skill well we were wrong we were wrong to be a bit snobby about him uh, yeah. Here's another one from Felix O'Kelly. It is very sad news, but when news like this strikes, I think the reaction to take is to think of the good parts of their life. Remember, then focus on how sad the death is. It's similar to how I reacted when my grandfather passed away this year. Terence Dix lived a long life to 84. He died peacefully. In an article celebrating Uncle Terence's 80th birthday in 2015, Doctor Who News described the writer as arguably the most prolific contributor to Doctor Who. He wrote such works. The War Games, The Brain of Morbius under a bland pseudonym, The Five Doctors, books, a wealth of novelizations, and his work as script editor is impressive as well. He was even writing recently, adapting the Sarah Jane adventures to Terence Sticks. May he be remembered well, yeah. Felix O'Kelly. Well done, yeah. I'd just I'd also like to mention that I suppose when I really uh, got to know and listen to Terence the most is when I was doing the Mythmaker interviews and we decided to interview Barry Letts and Terence Sticks together. And we thought this, we're not going to, we used to do daft things with Mythmakers interviews where we go on location and have people jumping out of trees or God knows what, you know, to spruce it up a bit. Sorry for the tree joke there. And, um, so this one, we, uh, Keith Barnfather, the producer, just hired a studio. Uh, three chairs, bit of lighting. There I was interviewing the two of them. And we thought we were just going to, we'll do a sort of like an hour special or maybe an hour and a half. Wow, goodness me. 
just went on. And we realised that when we got to the end of the interview, we'd only got halfway through all their work. <laughs> so we thought, we just have to do another one, you know. And I just, it was one of the most delightful interviews I've ever done. I mean, I'm, I don't know whether I was any good. I'm sure I was just irritating and annoying. But they were just so fascinating. And just, it was just amazing. And so we got, we started to call it amongst ourselves on the production the Baza and Tell interviews <laughs> Barry <laughs> and, and which Terry Sticks thought was very funny Barry Lett said um, you're not really going to call it that are you so, <laughs> I mean I don't think it's really appropriate we went, no no it's just a joke yeah. okay well as long as it's just a joke because you know we can't call it that can we <laughs> you know, Terence is just chortling away about it he thought it was funny anyway uh, such great memories of him uh, I've made a note here to mention the egg, which I feel bad about. I told the egg story yesterday to someone, thinking it was quite funny. It was a producer at Radio 4 Extra, and she just seemed appalled. It was just one... You know, there were so many situations I was in with Terence. Oh, I've just thought of another one. Um, uh, where we'd just be chatting, usually backstage at a convention or something. And I was talking to him uh, at some hotel in Coventry or something. It was just after breakfast, and um, he had a shirt and tie on, you know. And I just glanced down. And I noticed that he had egg on his tie from breakfast. <laughs> and so I just quickly said, I was just like, I just very, you know, I thought you've got to say these things straight away. I said, oh, Terence, you've got to, you've got egg on your, on your tie there, mate. I said like that, you know, with a little laugh. Oh, he was mortified. I felt terrible, oh, but I no. thought it was good. And he went, oh, oh dear, you know. And was, and <laughs> so I, felt, I thought, oh, I've really spoiled his day. But I thought it's better than him later seeing loads of photos of himself with egg on his tie, isn't it? Yeah, def definitely, definitely. I was in those just, situations. I must just mention one other one where I was having to do an interview with Ingrid Pitt, the late Ingrid Pitt, and it was going terribly badly. Uh, she was getting very cross with me. I've been asked to do this interview at literally... 30 seconds notice there was no one to interview her oh, and the God. convention organiser I think it was Andrew Beach said well you'll do her won't you and I thought what I don't know anything about Ingrid Pitt <laughs> apart from the fact that she was quite embarrassing in Warriors of the Deep that's all I knew uh, and so I, I went on and went sure I thought well I'll just go by the thing of asking questions listening to the answers and extrapolating from there it just all went wrong. She got very cross that I didn't know about her. I said, I don't have a team of researchers. I'm sorry. And it was going awful and awfully badly. And in my earpiece, they had an earpiece. It's the first convention I'd done where I had an earpiece where the control room were talking to me. And they were saying, look, we've got Terence Dix in the wings. He, he can come on and save everything. So every time I tried to move it round to talking about something where I could say, and we can actually bring on... Terence Dix now and I could see Terence in the wings and he was looking at me with such compassion like you're dying let me <laughs> let me come and rescue you and I was looking at him and I was going mm. and by now Ingrid Pitt was really off on one about goodness knows what I wasn't even listening to what she was saying I was so upset and scared you know um, and uh, she said something about sex and the guy in the gallery just screamed in my ear talking of sex here's Terence Dix and I just parroted what he said and I went talking of sex here's Terence Dix and I remember <laughs> Terence just it was like before I'd even completed the word Terence he, he'd heard you know and he was off he was he sprinted on 
like sort of <laughs> Alan Partridge and his kind of that sort of you know jolly oh, great. jog <laughs> just came on and went hello and a kind of I'm here don't worry Nick and he said well of course you see we're the time monster yeah and he was off and he saved oh. the day and I just sat back and was like afterwards I said oh god thank you so much and he said well you were dying out there Nick <laughs> <laughs> absolutely brilliant oh Mm. I shed a few tears when I read the news and I'm getting a little bit emotional now. Sorry about that. Carry on. Well, now it is time for us to look to the future, but sort of into the past at the same time. Space 1999, set in the past, but it feels like the future, but it's coming out in the very near future. Mm. Mm. Uh, This coming Friday, actually, 13th of September, to be precise. I'm Jamie Anderson and I'm the script editor on Space 1999 Breakaway. After the Apollo missions of the 1960s and early 1970s, space exploration was very nearly abandoned, as public pressure mounted for money to be concentrated on problems down here on Earth. But, by a whisker, funding was granted for a base on the moon. After its initial classified military duties, that base was greatly expanded and converted into the international moon base alpha we know today. Space 1999 is a 1975 television series created by my late father, Jerry Anderson, and it essentially follows the group of 311 unwilling Alphans, as they're known, inhabitants of Moon Base Alpha, who are hurled out of Earth's orbit when there's a disaster on the Moon. Hello, I'm David Richardson. I'm the producer of the audio series of Space 1999. Here we go. Cute. I want you to shut down the backup crew's flight trials. But, but why, Commander? Things are going well. We've got an unexplained heat rise in Sector 1. Well, it's very interesting, actually. When Nick sent in his synopsis for Breakaway, I looked at it and thought, oh, this is great. There's no way this is going to fit into an hour. Um, and I thought, shall I tell him that? And I just thought, actually, no, because, you know, he'll know. And if Nick says this will fit into an hour, it will fit into an hour. Anyway, I didn't mention it to him. And <laughs> just a few weeks before we were going to be recording, uh, Nick got in touch with me and said, um, oh, I'm 7,000 words over. Now, a, a script, an hour-long script should be 10,000 words, and Nick was already up to 17. Hello, I'm Nick Briggs, and I'm the writer and director of Space 1999 Breakaway. OK, and cue. Moonbase Alpha, 10th September 1999. Daylight cycle commences. Thank you. I didn't set out to make it as long as it is, this movie length. (laughs) I I set out to make it the same length as the original episode. But what I did, I kept opening it up a bit. I opened it up in terms of the characters and I opened it up in terms of the, in inverted commas, scientific concepts involved. You know, there's the whole troublesome thing about in order to create enough explosive force to blow the moon out of orbit, the explosive force would blow the moon up which is, you know, a lot of we science fiction fans have found out about this since. So I wanted to find a new way for that to happen. Okay, people, let's get prepped for the autopsy. Maybe this time we can find out what killed him before it kills the rest of these poor bastards. Well, the recording has been really exciting and I think we've got a great cast and I love the way that they gel. Jamie Anderson uh, said to me uh, that he thought that they gelled really well together. I struggled with the idea of recasting, actually. And my very first thought was I struggled because I'm so close to the original show. 
that you know you have to make that leap to to do it. But once we'd made the decision and we started thinking about it, it became quite an exciting prospect, and we were very thorough and very careful about how we went about casting it. And I'm really delighted with the crew we've got. You know, I think they're a smashing team. My name is Mark Bonner, and I play Commander John Koenig. Coffee, Commander Koenig. Mm. Oh, yeah, sure. Thanks. The live link camera and sound are set up. Uh, yeah. Yeah, good. Thanks. They should be coming to you any moment now. Yep. I know. <sighs> My big moment. Apart from the fact that I've worked for Big Finish quite a lot and, and thoroughly enjoy it, the appeal of this particular job was, I suppose, growing up with this show. This was one of the, uh, in my sort of formative years, sort of eight, nine, ten, this was a show that I watched regularly and absolutely loved. You fired Gorski for obeying your own orders! Are you coping, John? Or do I need to... Oh, fire me too! I thought um, Landau was just a fantastically charismatic leading man, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, stoic and, uh, you know, just like all those old barrel-chested leading men, you know, of days of old, they were, they were proper. You know, they could probably, you know, put a shed up as well as act. <laughs> I think there isn't many like that these days. So yeah, I kind of I loved him. I loved the relationship between him and Barra Bain, and um, and all the ancillary characters were fantastic as well. Bergman was a fantastic character. It's kind of like having Clint Eastwood playing uh, <laughs> um, Commander Koenig, and I mean that in a really good way. It's a really classy, understated, uh, smouldering performance. I mean, I'm always a sucker for a Lost in Space story. Anyway, you know. Because it really fires your imagination, that kind of complete unknown isolation, you know. It's terrifying. On top of that, they're kind of thinking, we could be the last of our civilization. My name is Maria Teresa Quisi, and I play Dr. Helena Russell. Do you really think it's appropriate for you to speak to me in this way? Because of your rank? Hell, you won't even be commander the moment that Patsy Koenig arrives from Earth. So why not go out in a blaze of glory and do something useful for once in your damn life? I think what the most interesting thing about her was that she has so much heart and she just ultimately really cares. And, you know, I find with her that it's quite hard to understand how I think a woman as well because women tend to be sort of more nurturing maybe have families things like that you know she doesn't have any of that that makes her reconsider her actions she's really ultimately more concerned with everyone else and making sure that people you know survive this And if you want to pre-order Space 1999, I'd say do it now, especially if you want a CD, because the pre-orders are high and most of the incoming stock is already spoken for. Just go to bigfinish.com. That's not hype, by the way. That's the absolute truth. And type breakaway into the search engine and badaboom, there you shall find it. And for anyone who's interested, I did actually write badaboom into the script. You did. Uh, I can see it. So yeah, My eye. Find it before it zooms out of orbit. See what I did there? Oh, very clever. Very, very clever. Yeah. Very, well, clever might be overstating it. Well, of course, uh, 
as well as that, we also dipped into the email basket where we were chatting about Terence Dix. Uh, but time now for the second of our double dips because now we enter the official listeners' email segment of this podcast, the oh. official one. Official. So, uh, you'll know by now, well, I hope you will, and if you don't, you don't, but we love emails here at Big Finish. We love Never. talking Never. to you. It's one of our favourite things to do. It's a highlight for us. And if you want to talk to us, it's very simple. All you need to do is email us at podcast at bigfinish.com. Mm. Very nice. The word podcast, the little squiggly A, bigfinish.com. Simples. So, first up then, this one is from <laughs> Debbie Markey. Dear Nick and Benji, Hello. I hope that you're both well and that you had a wonderful summer break. Thank you. I hope you had lots of fun and are feeling refreshed. Ah. Ah. I'm, I'm writing refreshed. to let you know that I have finally listened to Legacy of Time and well I loved it. My delay in listening was because it was a birthday present and theoretically ah. I couldn't listen to it until recently. I, see. I loved how each of the stories were individual but all added together to make a complete story. I also love the pairing of River and Benny, the fifth Doctor and Jenny and the third Doctor with Joe and the new series unit team. It was also wonderful to hear Anna Hope as D.I. Patricia Menzies sparring with the sixth Doctor again. It was worth the agonising wait until my birthday. I also listened to the new Lost Confessions of Dorian Gray earlier in the month and thought that they were terrific. Alexander Vlahos is definitely an underappreciated vocal artist and his range has yet to be fully explored. I found the idea of an audio commentary about an audio story very intriguing. However, I think that it worked. It gave Scott Hancock and uh, Alexander Vlahos something to focus on and talk about just as the commentaries on visual stories as they did pause so that they and the listener could appreciate the original story. I love audio commentaries on DVDs, but I have to watch with subtitles and sometimes I find myself focusing on what I see and read on screen instead of what's being said. With just the audio track, it was much easier to hear Scott and Alex discuss the experience of making the episode and what happened afterwards. I would by love to listen to the other commentaries and I think that this is closer to what I was imagining when you announced that you'd be doing retrospectives uh, revisiting old releases. I've also listened to The Hope and enjoyed the pairing of Owen and PC Andy once more. They are such opposites that work well together. I've enjoyed all of your tortured releases including the historical ones that do not involve any of the original team. There is, however, one pairing that I would really love to listen to, and that is one with Gwen and Tosh. I expect that this is because of the increased attention female roles have uh, have had over the last few years, but I notice in TV shows that whenever you have an ensemble cast with at least two women, they are almost always paired up with a man. I can't remember the last time I watched two women who were friends and colleagues just getting on with it. It is one of the things that makes many of Big Finish's other ranges so enjoyable and this is one of the tortured ranges few flaws. Listening to more of the uh, Susie would be great too. A story exploring her beginnings at Torchwood would be something that I would look forward to. However, I cannot wait to hear more of the future releases. Uh-huh. 
Finally, I just wanted to mention that in my marathon of watching and listening to classic Doctor Who in order, I rewatched Death to the Daleks. <laughs> it has been a long time since I had that seen that particular story, and all I can remember, apart from some memorable quotes I'd heard during the Big Finish podcasts, Stop was the move. fact that the Dalek weapons did not work because of the energy drain and the city. Correct. It was nice to put some of your discussions and quotes into context. <laughs> that way leads to, to see death. you, Nick, in one of the documentaries about <laughs> the making of Death to the Daleks, in which I get the credit the world's biggest Doctor, uh, the world's biggest <laughs> Death to the Daleks fan. It's yes. Very true. That's that's one if, if that's got to go on the grave isn't it really i think um, i look <laughs> forward it. to listening to your return to the big finish podcast debbie thank you so much debbie lovely email there lots and yeah. lots of recommendations and fun things there great yeah, to hear nice. from you uh, here's one from rob aldous hi nick and benji welcome back to full on podcastery after your summer break I like the fact that the word podcastery is being widely used now. I think it's my invention, isn't it? It's a good one. I like it. Is it my invention I or did I invent so. that? I think I <laughs> September. Think it. Is it? Okay. September is a bit of a month for me with a significant birthday ahead. I was born on the 13th of September. So 20 years ago, as I turned 30, I looked nervously to the sky to check the moon was still there <laughs> and hadn't shot off into space or hatched. Ha ha ha. Yes, but as we hadn't built a moon base, I was pretty sure it would be there. And if it wasn't, it was likely to be the fault of one too many celebratory pan-galactic goggle blasters. Mm -hmm. Nice hitchhiker's reference there. So now, on my 50th birthday, the moon is about to break away again as you release your reimagining of Space 1999. You not know how to make me happy. It was a big part of my childhood, so can't wait to hear it. Oh, goodness me, you're going to hear 15 minutes of it at the end of this podcast, mate. A bit early, yeah. It's been a fabulous year of releases so far. And I'm looking forward to many more. All the best, Rob Aldous, sent from my comlock. <laughs> Nicely done, sir. It's just the uh, communications device and door opener from Space 1999. Very clever, very, very <laughs> clever, very clever. Thank you, thank you. And finally, this one here from Paul DeArmond. Greetings, Nick and Benji. I just finished listening to Transference, except for the music suite, which is still playing into my headphones. And I want to congratulate Big Finish, David Richardson, Alex Kingston, damn she's good, Warren Brown, Robert Whitelock and the entire splendid cast, the writers, Ken Bentley and everyone else involved in this superb production. Wow. All of the great Big Finish productions I've listened to over the last several years, this one may be the finest. Um, more like this please more thrillers more Alex Kingston more more keep setting the bar higher and higher from Paul to Armand Colorado Springs more more yeah absolutely right Paul um, yeah they did a fantastic job on that if you're listening you don't know what he's talking about that's one of the Big Finish originals the latest one out yeah a, a, a real psychological thriller Keith Patterson he's a random liar he doesn't even try to hide it. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, a Big Finish original drama, Transference. He's a fantasist? Yeah, maybe. I can't work him out. She says I'm a psycho. I'm not sure he's even using his real name. One minute he's married, then he's divorced, then he's never been married. His kids have had loads of different names and ages. Like they're just a story. Is any of it true? Yes, some bits. Just don't trust 
anyone. Be careful. Okay, you're making me really uncomfortable now. Good. You should be. Big Finish. We love stories. What if I killed someone? Uh, well, thank you very much. That's that's it for the emails this week. Keep them coming in to podcast at bigfinish.com. We love reading your emails, as I believe Benji might have mentioned at the beginning of this Just segment. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Questions, comments, suggestions, anything you like, really. Well, yeah, within reason. And there'll be more listeners' emails in uh, the next bigfinish.com podcast launching on Sunday, the 15th of September. Two upcoming Doctor Who monthly adventures releases for you now, and we delve behind the scenes on both of them. First up, a story entitled Tartarus, starring Peter Davison as the Fifth Doctor. Hello, I'm Samuel Barnett, playing Cicero. I'm Laura Riseborough, and I'm playing Terentia. Hello, I'm Scott Hancock. I am the producer and director of this story. Oh, Marcus, darling. Oh, Terentia, you're both all right. Of course. What on earth have you done to your head? So should we talk a little bit about the Cicero series? How you came to be involved? And what did you make when you heard the finished thing? So we can't actually pin down the yeah. date. Was it 2017? Yes. We did a pilot without Laura a year or so before. Then we recorded the series in 2017. It came out in 2018 and people loved it. Then I came on board as producer of the Fifth Doctor stuff at Big Finish and thought, let's have a crossover. Yeah. Our favourite thing. Yeah. I'm David Llewellyn, and I am the writer of Doctor Who Tartarus. You know, this all feels very strange. You don't say. The Doctor's right. He said everything is ever so slightly exaggerated. Real, but not quite. It's like someone up there is playing games with us. Exactly. But who? Well, we'd already done a series based on the early life of Cicero uh, with Sam Barnett. And so it kind of came from that, but it was a case of really racking our brains and kind of coming up with a way that did the character justice and I think that made it so that the two could sit side by side without one squashing the other. Take my wife and son down to the cellars. Gather as many people as you can along the way. Mark, you and I will round up the others. Darling! Just go! I'm Peter Davison and I'm playing Doctor Number Five. I'm Sarah Sutton and I'm playing Nissa of Traken. I'm Janet Fielding and I'm playing Tegan Number One. <laughs> <laughs> what? Did you just say? Yes, Tegan, let's not jump to conclusions. Really, Doctor? Zeus, Venus and all that? You're saying it's real? I'm saying many ancient beliefs contain a grain of truth. Incredible encounters with strange beings get written up as myths and legends. I should know. I've appeared in one or two of them. And then we get a new perspective joining the TARDIS in the form of Mark. So, hello, George. Are you familiar with the world you're getting into? <laughs> I, you could say that. And I remember you saying, oh, yeah, my, my uncle does a bit of... Uh, <laughs> Big finish. And I thought, when does he? I, I went, who is he? I might have heard of him. And he went, Peter Davison. I went, yeah, yeah he's done a little bit. <laughs> to tell you the truth, I haven't, I haven't really noticed it's any different than any other thing. Any other. Yeah. Uh, um, it's, it's, it's probably the way it should be. Yeah, same with me, actually. But yeah. Although we did have to, we did a photocall earlier where we had to, <laughs> we had to like cuddle each other practically. 
just like yeah, it was slightly odd, really. Yeah, we need to get a bit close. <laughs> and you're, is it similarly strange to come into an existing dynamic? Because obviously, it, I think it's fair to say that Peter, Sarah, and Janet have yeah sort of established a rapport. Yeah, they have. Um, <laughs> what you might I'm call sorry. a report. <laughs> you can call it a report. Actually, yeah. I, but I, it, it's wonderful to watch and be a part of. To be honest, it's hilarious. It's wonderful never a dull moment. What a, what a polite person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm being nice. Actually, I'm more interested in, in, in you, Scott, because I think uh, it took you a bit by surprise today. I don't think you're quite used to us shouting at each other in the way that we do. I thought you were getting a bit phased by it earlier on. Oh no, I've I've done a lot of big finish, but it's it's curious how different doctors and companion teams work. We work on abuse. But this is it. Even someone like Sylvester, if you pair him with Sophie, he's then very different as well if you pair him with other companions. So it's it's interesting coming in. It's exciting, though. And, you know, you're also brilliant. Aww. Yes, good. Thank you. Do, could you just say that brilliant bit again? No, we'll cut that out. <laughs> And if you want to get hold of that one, just go to bigfinish.com and type Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S, into the search engine at the top. See where the little um, magnifying glass is? Just doing my little air drawing of it again. Uh, <laughs> well, yours was better, Benji. It's a little bit, I, I made sure that the, the circular element was well yeah. documented. But yeah, anyway, if you type it, Tartarus in there, you'll, you'll find it, yeah. Well, on to our next monthly Doctor Who adventure now. This one stars Colin Baker as the Doctor, alongside his ever-popular companion, Perry, played by Nicola Bryant. It's Harry Houdini's War. Let's go behind the scenes. My name is John Ainsworth, and I am the producer of the six Doctor main range releases for Big Finish. Hello, my name's Ken Bentley, and I have directed Doctor Who Harry Houdini's War. Because of the conversations we had, I knew that Houdini had appeared before. Yes. Well, I think Houdini and the Doctor, or Doctor Who, uh, there's been references to Houdini many times, even on the TV show, John Pertwee referred yeah. to him. And things. So there's always been this implication that the Doctors uh, not only knew Houdini, but had met him in mm. the past. He was one of those historical figures. And then in 2013, when I was producing Destiny of the Doctor, which was for the then Audio Go, but made by Big Finish. Steve Lyons wrote a story for The Fifth Doctor, these were talking books, but with a, a voice. And we did a story called Smoke and Mirrors, which uh, Janet Fielding read. And Tim Beckman played Houdini in it. And so, but even in that story, it was said in such a way that it was clear that Houdini and the Doctor had met several times before mm -hmm. in the past and not necessarily in chronological order for both of them. A, mm -hmm. bit, a bit like River Song, I suppose. So Houdini probably had memories of adventures that the Fifth Doctor had yet to have, and vice versa. My name is Colin Baker. My rank is Doctor, and my number is six. Okay, thanks. And... You aren't listening to me. I must get into this show. You and the rest of New York City, pal. Oh. And no one comes past me without a ticket. Don't you know there's a war on? Fantastic. I like all the timey-wimey stuff, even though that expression did not exist during the tenure of the Sixth Doctor. I like it all because the paradox element of Doctor Who is one that is avoided for most of the time. And when it's included, it's usually for a reason of making it look like a bad idea. We don't want no paradoxes here. Um, so th the paradoxes that could be created by endangering the life of one of the most famous 
men in entertainment history whose death is so well chronicled that were anything to happen to make that not happen, the Time Lords would be crossed for a start because time would have to unravel and re-ravel to accommodate that new information. So for the Doctor to wade in on this particular story with Ari Udini, it's taking a bit of a risk. Hello, I'm Nicola Bryant. I pay Perry Brown, doing a wonderful recording for Big Finish. Over to you. Uh, here, let me help you down. <coughs> Did we make it? Terra firmer? <coughs> I can't see a thing through all this smoke. If this is the ground, how come I feel it spinning? Miss Brown. I can't tell you how sorry I am. <coughs> Not quite how your boyhood dreams played out, huh? It's interesting. It feels like a motorbike ride. Just a little bit, you know, lean into this and lean out of that. I have to say, this is a very good cast. Fiona Bruce, John Schwab, Mark Elstob and Glenn McCready. Small but perfect cast. And everyone knew what the job was and we, we did it with accuracy and elan, I thought. My name is John Schwab, and I am playing Harry Houdini. If you think of all the magicians and escapologists, and and you know, you you see them on Britain's Got Talent, you know. But you know, he's stuck when he you know he was around in you know the early 1900s. He's around. And he stayed a century on. He's still the one that we talk about. That's because he was very good at what he did. He was a great illusionist, but he's also quite. I, w I don't want to say cocky, because it's not cocky. He was just confident. He was extremely confident. He's an extremely confident character anyway. My name is Mark Elstob, and I'm playing Obist Brandt. I like that way that pretty unsympathetic people appear, try to be, try to sort of say, I'm on your side, before clearly demonstrating that they are not on your side. <laughs> so I like that sort of, uh, sort of mealy-mouthed, uh, I, I want to be your friend. Well, you just know that person does not want to be anyone's friend. The doctor says to Harry, you do this, and completely is confident that Harry will complete that task while he is off doing something else, and they'll meet, let's meet in five minutes, when you go swim underwater for five minutes and, and, and come up and it just open that window. You can pick a lock, right? Yeah, great. And it's, I think they're, they're, they're cut from the same cloth, definitely. And if you go to bigfinish.com and type Houdini, just Houdini, into the search engine, you'll find not only Harry Houdini's war, but also the destiny of the Doctor release, Smoke and Mirrors, which features Harry Houdini as director John Ainsworth. Ainsworth, I can't say his name. But as he Johnny. mentioned, <laughs> I've known him for years, now I can't say his name. That's it. It's done. I can't ever speak to him again. Uh, yeah, he mentioned it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Coming up very soon is our tease of the first 15 minutes of Space 1999 Breakaway. But just before that, it's time to give you that beloved 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. Cue the Ranamoid Selectatron. Right, oh, what's it going to be? Ran has picked up one here. It's uh, Doctor Who, The Companion Chronicles 3.5, Doctor Who, Home Truths. Home Truths. Do you That's, know this one? Uh, I don't know this one. It's been written by uh, Simon Guria, so it's obviously going to be superb. And it's uh, read by Gene Marsh. Again, oh, it's, it's obviously going yeah. to be superb. 
Sarah Kingdom, yes, a new adventure with the Doctor, as told by his companion, Sarah Kingdom. There's a house across the waters at Ely, where an old woman tells a strange story. Let's have a listen to the trailer. Hello? I'm sorry to intrude on you. Is anybody there? Hello? could tell you a hundred stories. You don't run a guest house without picking up a few tales. I think you know the story I want to hear. Do I know? It's about a house. A house of dreams and magic. The doctor, with his long silver hair and old-fashioned clothes. He seemed so ancient, so travelled, so deeply marked by time. The house is always listening. Is anyone there? Doctor, can you hear that? I don't believe in ghosts. So it's only on uh, download. That was just me knocking my uh, wedding ring against the desk in case anyone's worried that there's been a terrible accident and Morvis's brain is on the floor. Uh, I don't know what damage has been done. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, thoroughly recommended. All you down if you want to avail yourself of the twenty five percent discount, go to bigfinish.com, uh, find this podcast. It's in the podcast range. It's the latest one. It's also on the front page, actually. If you just scroll down once, one little stroke, and you're there. Uh, in the text of the news story accompanying it, there's a link to press. Press or click it. And when you get there, enter the special top secret code BUCKUP, all capital letters, no spaces. I actually typed it incorrectly, so spaces, so spaces, no, no spaces, no punctuation, no business like show business, no place like home. <laughs> BUCKUP! <laughs> and make sure as well that when you look on the uh, the actual page for it, if you click on the backstage yeah. bit, there's a wonderful little writer's blog, blog in there. By Brog. Simon Gurria, which is quite nice. It gives you a little outline as to just what was going on when this was all put together. It's a brog. Uh, it's a brog. Like a, a frog that's written a blog. <laughs> it is. It's a brogging flog. It sounds a bit like a um, some kind of like sort of stooge-like alien, doesn't it? You know, we brog. Are the brogs. Brog, go and fetch Commander Cohen. Yeah, that's it. Brog the Ogron. Brog. I'm writing that down. Brog. It's a brilliant name. It's quite. It's a real good. <laughs> Brog and Sprog. Brog. Mm. My name is Brog. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Well, that takes us right up to the moment of us saying goodbye. So, oh. it's a big goodbye from me, and an equally big one from me. Bye. And while we're away, why not agitate your exotic particles <laughs> with the first 15 minutes of our upcoming epic, Space 1999. Break away.
Today is Space Commissioner Simmons, a man whose name has become synonymous with the Metaprobe mission. Welcome to the program, Commissioner. Very happy to be here, Petra, as always. Do you have an update from the medical team on Moonbase Alpha concerning the health of the Metaprobe crew? I do indeed. They're fighting fit. So the rumors aren't true? A couple of the crew have had mild cold viruses, but their mission training schedule has not been interrupted and they're making a full recovery. We have scrupulous standards for the health of our astronauts, so the slightest change in their status is reported to me directly. In this case, it Yes, Dr. Russell? Sorry if I'm interrupting your morning coffee, Commander, but I've got another astronaut sick, just like the others. Just as hopeless. Blown out of all proportion. Presumably, you'd attribute any negative interpretations to the growing feeling among the world population against expenditure on space exploration. Well, let's not overstate that point of view, Petra. And yet, there are members of the Space Commission itself who have openly spoken about concerns relating to the spiraling costs of projects such as the Metapro 
globe when many people feel other issues should be prioritized. Well, issues such as nuclear waste disposal, world poverty, starvation. All valid concerns, Petra, perfectly valid, absolutely. But I have always said that mankind should adopt an holistic approach to its future. It's not about choices. Hmm? It's about pushing ahead to find solutions to all these problems in tandem with looking to the stars where our race's future ultimately will lie. Space science has given us a lot of the answers to problems here on Earth, and I don't doubt Perhaps that it will... Perhaps at this point it's worth reminding viewers of how we got to where we are now. I'd be happy to outline the successes of the space program. Our legacy correspondent David Harris has been looking at the history of space exploration. After the Apollo missions of the 1960s and early 1970s, space exploration was very nearly abandoned as public pressure mounted for money to be concentrated on problems down here on Earth. But by a whisker, funding was granted for a base on the moon. After its initial classified military duties, that base was greatly expanded and converted into the International Moon Base Alpha we know today. 311 personnel serve in a perfect, self-sustaining, artificial environment. Their mission statement? To forward the frontiers of human knowledge and science. And most recently, that mission has included hosting the Metaprobe, which is due to be launched from a platform orbiting the moon. But now, many say that even the International Space Commission has senior council members who are highly skeptical about the benefits of spending vast sums of money on sending a few astronauts to a planet five light years away, which may or may not be inhabited. flight path clearance. We want to get our VIP to Alpha as fast as possible. If flight path confirmed, no hold-ups, you are cleared to go. Acknowledged. Couplings unlocked. Engines hot. Coffee, Commander Koenig? Mm. Oh, yeah, sure. Thanks. The live link camera and sound are set up. Uh, yeah. Yeah, good. Thanks. They should be coming to you any moment now. Yep. I know. <sighs> My big moment. Gorski, can you turn that damn thing off? I'm trying to have an important conversation with you. Dr. Russell, there is no point taking this out on me. As commander of Moonbase Alpha, I have my orders, and I have no choice but to stick Damn to your orders, Gorski. These people are sick. Four of them have died already, and I haven't got a damn clue why or, or how or what. 
keep applying for specialist medical help from Earth, and you keep blocking my calls. I've got three patients here totally unresponsive to treatment in a critical condition. Do you get that? Do you really think it's appropriate for you to speak to me in this way? Because of your rank? <laughs> Hell, you won't even be commander the moment that Patsy Koenig arrives from Earth. So why not go out in a blaze of glory and do something useful for once in your damn life? I shall note that last remark in my final disciplinary report, Doctor. Thank you. Dr. Russell, we've lost Nordstrom. Did you get that, Gorski? That's cause for celebration. Gorski! I... Yes, of course I did. Then, for God's sake... I'm afraid this changes nothing. As you say, I'm about to be replaced. The matter is out of my hands now, daughter. Asshole! Okay, people. Let's get prepped for the autopsy. Maybe this time we can find out what killed him before it kills the rest of these poor bastards. And, and here we John go. Coney. I'm told we can now go live to him as he travels by Eagle Shuttle to take up his post as commander of Moonbase Alpha. Can you hear me, Commander? I can see and hear you loud and clear, Petra. Perhaps I should have said returning to your post as Alpha Commander. Uh, well, yes, it was my honor to serve there, uh, right from Alpha's inception back in 1989. Were you surprised to be recalled to your old job? Uh, uh, well, not, uh, not surprised, exactly. There you were, a popular high flyer and experienced pilot promoted to Mission Control Commander of the Metaprobe Mission. When you moved up, Rumor has it that Commander Gorski got your old job because he was more of a pedestrian workhorse. Well, I don't pay any attention to rumors, Petra. All he had to do was oversee the increasing storage of nuclear waste on the moon. Some say he's no more than a waste depot manager. Well, I never said that myself. And my appointment is a temporary measure just to facilitate the final Metaprobe launch procedures. And what's your opinion on the mystery illness on the moon? Pass me the extender. Well, now, how can I have an opinion on something that doesn't yep. exist? So, would you like to exactly I thought I told you to turn that propaganda what off. What do you do if there is a case of... Oh, did you see his smug face? Did you see that? What a smartass. Jeez, he is going to be worse than Gorski. Ah, Commissioner. Well done, John. Petra was a little frisky today. Someone's briefing against us. Any idea who? Huh. I can only narrow it down to about a dozen members of the Council. Oh, that many. Are they going to shut us down? It's too late for that, John. As long as everything goes smoothly, we're home and dry. But is everything going smoothly? I mean, I'm not even sure why you're sending me to Alpha. To calm a few jittery nerves, John, that's all. What Alpha needs now is an old, familiar face, someone they can trust. Gorski never really made any friends up there, and besides, I need someone running Alpha who's fully dedicated to the meta-mission. 
Well, I've put a lot of work into it, Commissioner. So it's my number one priority. This is Eagle 4409er. We are now in final approach to Alpha. Acknowledged. Please follow standard coordinates. Your approach vector will be over navigation beacon Delta. No problem. Acknowledged. What the hell? Say again, Eagle. I... I'm not sure. What's going on? What's going on? Grab hold of something and, and don't let go. John, what's wrong? Something pretty bad. I'm, I'm going to the cockpit. and piloting systems. We're showing a power surge on our scanners. Can you get a diagnostic? I can't! Nothing's working here! Some sort of gravitational anomaly! I, I've lost control! Pilot, what the I, hell's happening? Ah! Eagle 4409er, come in! What's wrong? Paul! Paul Morrow, is that you? Commander Koenig! The pilot's out calling. I got a total computer shut down here, Paul. Something hit us. No idea, but it fried the whole panel and shut us down. The the lunar altimeter is the only thing working, and it just kicked in. We have you on visual now. Commander, you're falling fast. That's what the altimeter is saying, too. Looks like I'm just going to have to bring her up on manual control. Those things handle like a dead weight on manual. Yeah, I remember. I was the kid's pilot on their first Commander. Commander! Ah! This is Alpha main mission. Come in, Eagle 4409er. He'll never make it. If anyone's got a chance, he has. Visual scan shows him still falling. Commander, can you hear me? Come in! You are still falling. Repeat, you are still falling. Like a stone, Paul. I know. I'm dispatching rescue craft immediately. I can pick over my demo records. It's no good. I can't get the motor. I'm going to try a fuel dump ignition on the retros. You'll blow yourself to pieces! And it's worse than a full-speed lunar crash now. Wish me luck. You've been listening to a Big Finish production. Oh, lovely. Don't forget to rate, review. And if you're feeling a little bit like you uh, want to subscribe, then do just that. Oh, that's very good advice.